Hi, my name is Robin Hunsberger. I live in Easton, Pennsylvania with my sister Heather. Some of the things I really enjoy doing are uh, cooking for friends and family. And um, I actually once made an award-winning gingerbread house. What I'm really passionate about is travel and being outdoors. I love hiking and walking. And the more I see of the different things the Lord has created, the more I feel like I get to know Him. When did I start coming to Riverbend and how did I find out about it? Well, funny story. At the church where I work, the youth pastor felt called to start a new church. A church that didn't have some of the traditions of old churches and maybe some of the legalistic tendencies. The youth pastor from Ebenezer and I and a team of others started to pray. We prayed for about a year until uh, we did anything else. And then uh, a small group of us got together and hammered out the details of this new church, uh, which is now Riverbend Community Church. Eventually, we did start Sunday morning worship services every week. Uh, we were in a rented uh, ballroom at the hotel down the road. Um, but the Lord did great things, and it was wonderful to be part of it, to minister together with these pastors who just had a passion for the Lehigh Valley, the people in it, and for serving the Lord in however He called them. One thing that sticks with me is that I've learned to lean into God more and trust Him better and more fully with the things of life. Um, I remember once back in the beginning when we were trying to get all the details ready to start this church and have our first Sunday morning worship services, we were all trying our hardest and doing our best and working like crazy. And at the end of the day, it just seemed like it wasn't enough. We were not sure that this thing was gonna be successful, um, that people would come, that the details were in place, that um, the truth would be shared well. And that's when the Lord stepped in in a mighty way, in ways that only He can. He, he blessed what was being done. He brought people. He caused the message to be heard and for lives to be touched. And we saw fruit from that, and we still do today. And He's been continually um, doing that ever since, working in people's lives. It's been wonderful to be part of the Lord's moving and needing to depend on Him. We can't change hearts, only the Lord can do that. And uh, learning how to lean into Him in very real ways in starting this church was just the beginning of like leaning into Him in real ways in many facets of life. Wow, thank you for that, Robin. It was beautiful. Wow, I don't want to cry in front of people. I, I do cry a lot. Um, no, I, I cry a lot. Uh, but let's go home. Let's pray and end the service right No, no, no. Um, no, that's what it's all about, though. I was just thinking, like, you know, there's a, there's a Bible word. It's called justified. Right? And you know this word if you study the Bible, right? But justified, uh, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5. Uh, justified can be a big theological word, but God treats you as if you've just, just as if you've never sinned. That's what, because of what Christ has done for you. That's what justified is. 
And to be justified means you have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to prove. It's a beautiful thing being justified in Christ Jesus. And I love that story because it's like, oh, we're trying to make this service happen. We're trying to make this thing happen. Nothing to fear. Nothing to hide. Nothing to prove. Amen? What a gift we have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're justified. Right? And so uh, that's the heart. I mean, that's really the heart from which all the scent stuff comes out. And we're in the series Known and Loved, and we're going to talk about scent this morning. Um, But it comes from a place. Our being sent comes from somewhere, and it always is inviting people back into that very place, back into the very heart of Jesus and his joy and his righteousness and peace and the Holy Spirit. Um, So I heard there was a challenge that you should quote C.S. Lewis at some point. (laughs) during this sermon series, and uh, I happily take up that challenge. I love C.S. Lewis. I love the Narnia books. I love his writings. I love his other fiction novels. Um, uh, We read many of the Narnia books to our kids when they were little, um, but we didn't do Silver Chair with our children, and I regret that because Silver Chair is such a good book. I've been telling my daughter, Silver Chair is really good. Um, But uh, there's... uh, so, So... in that story, I want to start with this story from the silver chair because I, I think it helps set the table for us. But silver chair. Narnia is a place. It's another land. It's next to ours. It's kind of like right next to it. You can enter into it at any time, not at your choosing, but when you're called. And you enter into Narnia, and children are often whisked into Narnia, and they find themselves in the middle of an epic battle between good and evil. And they have a part to play in the epic battle. They have a role to play. And there's a lion by the name of Aslan. He's the son of the emperor beyond the sea. He is the king of kings in that world. He is the Christ figure in Narnia. And, uh, you know, the stories are about different children at different times that get whisked into Narnia and have a calling from Aslan to participate in what he's doing to make Narnia right again. And so uh, there's a, a girl in the silver chair. Her name's Jill Pole, and it's her first time. She's never been to Narnia. Uh, she's getting bullied at school. And uh, a bunch of kids are coming after her, making fun of her, chasing her down. And there's a kid, Eustace, who Drew mentioned a couple weeks ago. But Drew, Eustace is a different kid now. And, and so Eustace is telling Jill, you can call on this name, Aslan, when you're in trouble. Would you call on him with me? And they begin to call on the name of Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in another world, far from the bullies. But now, somehow, she gets separated from Eustace, and she's lost in the woods somewhere, And she's freaking out because she was just being chased by bullies. Now she's alone in the woods somewhere she doesn't even know. So she's alone, she's lost, she's in the woods, and she's scared. And after a little while, she's on top of these things, thirsty. And so she's like, i got to find something to drink. And she hears uh, a stream in the distance. So she goes towards the sound of the water. She's like, ah, finally, there's water. But when she gets to the water, she sees that there's a huge lion standing right next to the stream. And she's like, ah, you know, she's scared to death of the lion and she wants to drink. What do you do when you've got both going on inside of you, right? And so she wants to drink and she's looking and the lion's standing there. And all of a sudden the lion speaks to her, child, come to me and drink. She doesn't say nothing. (laughs) And she's scared, right? The lion says it again, come, have a drink, right? And then... uh, she, you know, she, she kind of pauses again, and then the lion says, aren't you thirsty? Yeah, well, yeah, I am thirsty, 
uh, if I come and take a drink, will you go away over there somewhere? And he goes, no, I'm staying right here. Come and drink. And then I'll pick up from, from here where, where, where Lewis writes about it. Uh, okay, if I come and drink, will you promise not to do anything to me? I make no such promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and entire realms, said the lion. And he didn't say this as if he were boasting or sorry, nor as if he were angry. He just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming one step nearer to the water. Why, suppose I must go and look for another stream then. The lion replied, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. This is the only spot you have to quench your thirst. Come to me and drink. No other stream. I love this story because it highlights a tension that we all experience when the real us comes into the presence of the true and living God. There are parts of what he offers that we want, and there are parts of what he offers that sometimes we don't want. Is that true? Right? And so it, this is very real stuff. When Jill comes up to the lion, she's like, you know, she wants the stream, but she doesn't want the lion himself. Sometimes we want the gifts that Jesus gives, but we don't want the calling upon our lives that comes with his gifts. And so we'll say things like, oh, I'll drink as long as you go over there somewhere. Or I'll come near to you as, you as long as you promise not to do anything to me. And I love this. He says, I make no such promise. Jesus came to do something to you. Amen? Jesus came to do something to us. Yes, praise God, by the grace of God and from what Jesus has done for us, anyone who repents, turns from their sins and puts their trust in Jesus is loved and accepted just the way that we are. But he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He transforms us and makes us more and more and more like him. He certainly came to do something to us. And so there are things that come with this eternal life in the gospel that you can't separate. I'm sure next week we might have an Advent wreath up here, and if we did, we'd light a candle and there'd be a flame there. And there are certain things that you have when you have a flame. You can't separate them out. You can't say, I like the flame, but I don't like light. Or I like the flame, but I don't like heat. The flame comes with light, and the flame comes with heat. To have the flame is to have both. And there are certain things that come inextricably bound to the eternal life that we receive for free in Jesus. We get saved, and we also get sent. It's like the light and heat of the flame. It's the light and the heat of the gospel. It's bound up together in him. And so lately I've been calling it the as-so of the gospel. And you'll see it here on the screen here in a second. But like, oh, I think I put it in the wrong order, the slides. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. But as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Abide in my love. You might call that the heat of the gospel flame. But also, as the Father has sent me, even so I am what? Sending you. It's part of the life, and it's bound up together in the life that we've received from Jesus. We've received forgiveness of sins, being justified by his grace, Nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to prove, but we've also received a participation in his calling, this life that he's inviting us into. And so we've been doing this series, 
And that's the other slide that I got out of order there. Uh, this is the vision statement for all the disciple-making ministries and community groups at Riverbend. Known, that we'd be truly known among a community of Christ followers. Encouraged in the reality of his gospel and sent to live in alignment with his purpose for our lives. And so part of the, where this was born from, I had a mentor in my life. And he used to talk about how, like, I can't encourage you at your layers. You know, we're like an onion. There are many layers on us. And if I only know the surface layers of your heart, I can only encourage you at the layer of your surface. But if I'm really known and you really know the stuff that's going on deep down inside, then you can speak a word of gospel encouragement to that area. And so when we talk about gospel community, we're talking about being really known by God and knowing God, by one another and knowing each other. Being really encouraged. And I love Mike shared this last week, but scriptures tell us to encourage one another daily lest we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we spur one another on, encourage one another towards love and good works, following Jesus with all of our heart and all of our lives? And then this last one we're going to unpack today is sent. Sent to live in alignment with Jesus' purpose for us. So we'll, we'll unpack what does it mean to be sent to live in alignment to Jesus and his purpose for our lives, and how is this being sent inseparably woven into the life that Jesus has come to bring us into. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1 as we continue to explore this theme together. So Acts chapter 1, we'll also have the verses up here on the screen. And we're going to just look at the first eight verses and, by God's grace, lift some things from the text that hopefully we can take with us into our week this week. Before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for time in your presence with your people. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a great work in us to activate us in every area of our lives to participate fully in your very love and your very life. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be so pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Thank you for being our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taking up, taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. A few things. One is, you can see this book is affectionately addressed to somebody named Theophilus. That name means lover of God. We don't know if Theophilus was an individual in the early church that the author knew, um, but it's very likely that Theophilus just means anyone who's a lover of God. And so if you've become a lover of God by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, because he first loved you, this book's written for you. If this book, if, or if, you've, if you're becoming a lover of God, because you're coming into the kingdom of God, because Jesus is drawing you in, this book is written for you. Any Theophilus in the room, this is written for you. 
the author's name is Luke. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Uh, and he was also a missionary who traveled with the Apostle Paul in his proclaiming the gospel, disciple-making, church-planting ministries. And so Luke is a physician. He also wrote another volume called The Gospel According to Luke. So he wrote book one. And that's what he's referring to when he says, in my former book, O Theophilus, book one was the gospel according to Luke. Volume two is the Acts of the Apostles. And so my former volume, here's the current volume, right? And it's really beautiful because there's this word began. In my former volume, O Theophilus, I began to write about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, which implies what? If he began in volume one, he's still doing it. Jesus didn't stop doing and teaching the things that he was doing. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead in victory over sin, death, and Satan. He ascended to the Father's right hand. And after he left and ascended to the Father's right hand, he's still doing the things that he did back there. How's he doing it if he's gone? And this is a beautiful thing. So, so the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going everywhere, teaching proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing people of all kinds of affliction and disease. Teaching, preaching, healing. Teaching, preaching, healing. And what Jesus began to do and teach here, he's continuing to do here through his church, through his people. He pours out his Holy Spirit. He's continuing to teach, preach, and heal through his people. And you see it all throughout the book of Acts. He's continuing to teach, proclaim the kingdom of God, and heal people. We participate as his church through his spirit in his ministry. That's what we get to do as the body of Christ. And so here in volume one, the climax of the book is Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and for our salvation, his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the Father in heaven. That work is never to be repeated again. Amen? It's a once-for-all sacrifice. The work that is necessary to save you and make you right with God is something Jesus accomplished. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved by his. We're saved by his good work of taking our sins, suffering the just penalty for our sins on the cross, rising from the dead in victory, his ascension to the Father's right hand with whom he is well pleased. And now he pours out his Holy Spirit. And so you might say in book one, the work of our salvation was signed and sealed, and in book two it's what? Delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. He's yours. Jesus is yours. And throughout the Roman Empire, that's literally what they're doing. He's yours. He's your Lord. He's your King. Repent and put your trust in him. He's the Messiah. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He's coming again someday to make all things new. Repent and trust in Jesus. And so you'll see it. It's like this delivery throughout the Roman Empire. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, it, it starts to go down into Gaza and then through Ethiopia. It goes up through Syria and what's modern-day Turkey now. The gospel just spreads around the Mediterranean like this to the ends of the earth. And sometimes it's easy to think of the sharing of the gospel like a delivery service. And that's not entirely wrong, but it might not be the fullest picture. So sometimes we picture it like DoorDash, you know, like I have something for you and you're going to enjoy it and I have something for you and you're going to enjoy it and I have something for you and you're going to enjoy it. But the sharing of the gospel is less like DoorDash and more like your own dining room table. 
And what do I mean by that? It's less like a delivery service and more like, so, so, so you know, with DoorDash, it's like, I hope you enjoy your meal. I hope you enjoy your meal. I hope you enjoy your meal. Now, the gospel is like, we are enjoying the meal. Would you come sit down with us and join us? We are tasting and seeing how good the Lord is. Would you come taste and see with us how good the Lord is? Does that make sense? And so, you know, less DoorDash, more dining room table, less delivery service, and more dance party. I, I, my son, Caleb, is part of a group called Young Life, and it's a, it's a high school youth ministry group. And I usually do the drop-off, and Aaron will do the pickup on the, on the other end of the night. So I'll drop him off on Monday night, and there's this house that they all meet at, and it looks like some crazy high school party. There's like 60 kids like hanging out in the yard. It's like wild. They have a ton of fun. They study the scripture together. They dance together. They sing together. And then they go to the ice cream parlor and hang out there for a little while before they go home. They do this each Monday night. And... Uh, you know, I, again, I usually do drop-off. Aaron usually does pick-up. But I did both this week because Aaron was away. Um, and so I drop off Caleb, and then they go over to the ice cream parlor. And this is my first time picking him up from Young Life. But I pull up to the, it's called Just Chill Creamery in Emmaus. And I drive up by the ice cream parlor, and I'm looking in the window because it's these huge glass windows. And there's like 20, maybe 30 kids just dancing their faces off in the ice cream parlor just having a blast, and they're just dancing. And I'm like, that's crazy. So I wait for him, I text him, you know, he comes out, and I'm like, are you guys dancing in the ice cream parlor? And his response is this, we bring young life to just chill. <laughs> we bring young life to just chill. I'm like, what are you guys doing in there? He's like, oh, it's crazy. We're dancing, we're having a blast, and the two women behind the counter, they gave us full access to the sound system. And they came out from behind the counter and start joining us. One of them has a penguin costume in the back because I guess that's how they promote their, like, you know, the penguin is like their mascot. She puts the penguin costume on. They start getting down. But this party that you can't help but want to join, there's a joy in the center. And we're inviting people to join that joy, to join that dance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the relationship they have with one another, the joy, the righteousness, the peace, the love. And he already has it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have it within their relationship, and they invite us in through the Holy Spirit. And so when, you know, Jesus talks about how John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, just as believers are baptized into the water and have been from the earliest days of the church, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so the Lord baptizes every true believer in Jesus in his spirit. In other words, you're fully immersed in his very life and love, completely grafted in. Come join the dance. Come join the party. We got to have you here. This joy piece is huge because there's a great burden when it comes to sharing our faith. I work with a missions organization, and we often talk about the burden. And the burden is huge. Um, if you look at numbers and statistics, it's wild. 168 million people estimated. There's an estimated 168 million people in the U.S. who don't yet know Jesus. 
Now think about that for a minute, because I, it's hard for me to get my head around that. That's 21 New York cities, all five boroughs, including Staten Island, right? 21 New York cities of people in the U.S. that don't yet know Jesus. If the stats are correct, that makes the U.S. the sixth largest unchurched nation in the world, right? Which means we're the sixth largest mission field in the entire world. We live in it right now, right? Um, so 21 New York cities, that's actually 195 Lehigh Valleys full of people that don't yet know Christ. And so when you think about the people that you know and love and you think about the fact that, my goodness, the sin condition is so sick and we all have the sickness and we all need the cure that's only found in Jesus. But when that sin condition isn't healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith that people will, if it's not healed, they will go into an eternity separated from God forever, right? The burden is great. And so with that burden, we can talk about a lot of things. There's a lot of people in the U.S. that don't yet know Jesus. We can talk about how evangelism is on the decline in the U.S. Statistics and studies have shown that a growing number of Christians do not see sharing their faith as their own personal responsibility. Another study reported, this was Barna, that some young, younger generations of practicing Christians think it's wrong to share their faith with somebody else in the hopes that that person would come to faith in Jesus. In 2020, for the first time in U.S. history, Gallup reported that the number of people who were members of a Christian church fell for the first time under 50%. So we're talking about people who just attend church and are members there. We're not even necessarily talking about people who truly trust and follow Jesus. I don't know what those numbers are. But... We live in a place where tons of people around us need to know the joy. Amen? They need to know this life that we have in him. And they need to join the dance. And so the burden is great. And we can keep talking about the burden. But I really felt this as I was preparing for this week. The burden is great, but the joy is greater. Amen? The burden is great, but the joy is greater. And so, uh, you know, we can talk about the burden but my goodness, there is a joy that's happening between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that we get to participate in and we get to invite people into ourselves. Um, I think I had a quote from the Apostle John. I'm all over the place this morning. Forgive me. It's Thanksgiving week, and this was a really difficult week to get a sermon together. Um, but I love this. He said, That which we, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. We are enjoying this fellowship, koinonia, this participation in the life of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And we want you to have this fellowship with us. And our indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy, 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 joy. The burden is great, but the joy is even greater. How do we invite people into this joy? There was a man named Alexander Schmeyman, and he was asked to speak at a missions conference. I don't know how long ago this was, but he was asked to speak at a missions conference, and they were going to talk about all the cool things. Well, I don't know about cool things, but all of the things that the church could potentially be doing to reach more people. New methods, new metrics, new missions, new... And some of you guys are familiar with these kinds of conversations, Right? And this, is, this quote has gotten me. I read, this, I read this a couple years ago, and it stays with me. 
This is what he wound up saying uh, in response to what more could we be doing or what could we, do, we be doing differently. From its very beginning, Christianity has been the proclamation of joy, of the only possible joy on earth. It lost the world when it lost its joy. Of all the accusations against Christians, the most terrible was the most terrible one was uttered by Friedrich Nietzsche when he said that Christians had no joy. So let us forget, therefore, for a while, the technical discussions about church, its mission, or its methods. Not that these discussions are wrong or that they're unnecessary even, but they can be useful and meaningful only within a certain fundamental context, and that context is the great joy from which everything else in Christianity developed and acquired its meaning. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's how the Gospel of Luke begins. And its end is this. They worshipped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great what? Joy. And we must recover the meaning of this great joy. We must, if possible, partake of it ourselves before we discuss anything else. Programs, missions, projects, and techniques. But joy, however, is not something we can define or analyze but it is something we enter into. One enters into joy. So enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's so good. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And if we had time to do like a, a, a wild, thorough study of the book of Luke, volume one, and Acts, volume two, joy is a major theme. It keeps coming up. Good tidings of great joy that'll be for all the people. In the middle of the book of Luke, and I'm only sharing a few references, but in the middle of the book of Luke, there is great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. At the end, they return to Jerusalem, worshiping with great joy. Uh, the early church in the book of Acts, they ate and went from house to house with, with glad and sincere hearts. Or, or this one really gets me. The apostles Peter and John are tried before the Sanhedrin, and then they're told, please don't talk anymore about Jesus. We're going to let you go, but please stop talking about Jesus. And they said, well, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We just can't stop. And then it says they beat Peter and John and let them go. And it says they rejoiced because they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Joy, 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 joy. And so a couple questions this morning. What, if anything, is holding you back from entering into the joy of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What, if anything, is holding you back from entering into his joy? There will be things in your life that oppose this joy. It might be persecution. It might be affliction. It might be temptation. It might be accusations from the enemy. Isolation. Fear. There's all kinds of things that are going to come against you and attack this joy in your life. What, if anything, is holding you back? What does it look like to live into the things that we've been talking about in this series together? That when we're tempted, because here's, here's what all of those attacks are meant to do. It's meant to squash your life and make it really small. To say, you know what? I'm just going to stay isolated. I'm going to stay alone. I'm going to stay by myself. I'm going to never speak, never talk, never bear witness to Jesus. It's all meant to shrink you when Christ wants your light to shine and to spread out. And so what, if anything, is holding you back from this joy? And what does it look like to press in and say, you know what? I'm going to live into the things we talked about. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed, James 5. Encourage one another daily, 
Hebrews, lest you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians 6, bear each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Love one another as he has loved us. Encourage one another. On and on and on. What does it look like to live in that kind of life together? And like Hebrews says, to lay aside the things that hold us back. To lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangle us, entangles us and run with endurance this race that's set before us. And I love this, not looking to ourselves or our strength. The author of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus laid it all aside for the joy that was set before him. And part of that joy was seeing you saved and set apart for God and healed and whole. What would it look like for you to press in into the, into the God who pressed in to you and for you. So what, if anything, is holding you back from entering into the joy of the Father, Son, and Spirit? And what, if anything, is holding you back from inviting others to join you in trusting and following Jesus? Actually, take that sip now. <laughs> Another way that you can reframe that second question is who isn't here? Who's missing? When you think about people who know Jesus and have come to know the love of Jesus, and you think about people who have not yet come to know Jesus, who isn't here? Who isn't in the room? I'm a pretty big fan of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, and um, I, I love this one song called 10th Avenue Freeze Out. It's the first track on the Born to Run album. Does anybody know it? Okay, right? a couple of you in the room. And there's a line in the song, it's, it's, it's a mythical retelling of how the E Street Band formed. So if you want to go back and listen to it, it's actually a mythical retelling of how the band got together. And there's a line, I think it's like the second verse, he says, and the ch when the changes were made uptown, and the big man joined the band, he's talking about Clarence Clemens, the saxophone player. He'd probably be standing right over here as they sing it on stage, right? You know it, you're nodding your head, right? Uh, when the changes were made uptown and the big man joined the band and there's this roaring saxophone that just comes out over here from the side. Right, you know, it's so good. It's so good. I love that song. Uh, and, and, and so we got to see Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band in 2012. It was a year after Clarence Clemens passed. And they get to this part of the song. When the changes were made uptown, and the big man joined the band, and there was a huge snare pop, pop. All the lights at MetLife Stadium go down, and it's just a single picture of Clarence on the screen for a straight minute. Silence. And it hits you hard. Someone's not here. I'm sure this holiday season, that comes up for a lot of us in different ways. Someone's not here. We're hanging up our Christmas tree ornaments yesterday, and there's a Dale Earnhardt number three that I hang up. And it's my stepdad who's not here, right? But praise God, he received Christ by faith before he passed in 2019. And praise God, he'll be there. And I think there's a not here on this side that's painful enough as it is, but let's think about the who's not here on the other side, amen? Who's not here yet? And what does it look like to let the Lord cultivate a heart in us that wants to invite them into the dance, invite them into the joy, invite them into the life that we receive from Jesus? And so, 
Imagine for a minute you get to a wedding reception and you get there way too early. And you and your family or you and your friends, you get there and you find your table and there's like no one there yet. The bride and groom aren't there. The, the wedding party's not there. The caterers are there, so all the food's there. And, and there's a DJ playing some background music. Uh, but the, the party hasn't really started yet and there are tons of distinguished guests that should be in the room first before you get started, right? And somebody says to you, <laughs> hey, can we start the wedding reception now? Hopefully you'll think to yourself, wow, that's a ridiculous question. We can't start the party unless they're here. And so look with me in verse six. When they had come together, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And that question from God's perspective sounds like that. You want to start the party without all those people? Really? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Who isn't here? See, this is beautiful because... There are so many people who haven't come in the room yet. And at the time the disciples are asking, imagine just Israel is the only group in the room. Right? God loves Israel. God has chosen Israel. Israel is his people through whom the Messiah has come. But God loves every tribe, tongue, and nation. Right? And so to just have one nation or one ethnic group in the room is way too small. There are 195 nations in the world right now. And by some estimations, there are hundreds, maybe even more than a thousand ethnic groups in the world. Christ didn't come to save one tribe, one tongue, one nation. He came to save a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so I love this. One of the Advent passages is is when they bring Jesus to be circumcised in the temple. And this is the priest's prayer. Zechariah is holding the baby. He's like, I can die now. I've seen the Messiah. But this is what he prays. He prays, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Yes, the kingdom is for Israel, but it's also through Israel to the nations. And the kingdom is for you too, but it's also through you to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So who isn't here yet? If you're anything like me, all the numbers get wildly overwhelming. There are 168 million people that don't know Jesus in the U.S. That's 195 Lehigh Valleys. There are 195 nations. There are hundreds of ethnic groups. You know, and it, it can get so overwhelming. You get overwhelmed by the sheer vastness of it all, but think for a minute about just your own sphere of influence. Think about all the spaces where you live, learn, work, and play. And put a question before you as we get close to wrapping up here. Can you name at least five people in the spaces where you live, learn, work, and play who don't yet know Jesus? And what would it look like for you to begin doing just one thing, praying regularly for them, that they might come to know him? It's that simple, to just start there. You know, you're like, sometimes you come to a, a, a talk about 
being sent and you're like, oh my goodness, this talk is going to end with who should I talk to? And the encouragement in, in this morning's sermon is talk to Jesus. What would it look like to talk to Jesus about the people in your life that you really care about, that they might come to know him? My friend Ed Hanna challenged me to do this probably around 2017. And so it was a list of five. Here's the five people that I'm praying for. And number one on the list was dad. And he came to faith in Jesus in 2019 before he passed. Number two on the list was a neighbor who came to faith in Jesus a year following the time we started praying for her. Number three on the list was another neighbor who I really do believe is on her way back to dedicating her life to Jesus after years of being in the wilderness. And then another on that list is a family member that I'm still praying for. But what would it look like for you to pray regularly for the people in your life that don't yet know Jesus? Praying that the Lord might give an opportunity for them to hear and receive the gospel and maybe even through you. You wouldn't believe how many times people start practicing praying for people in their life that don't yet know Jesus. And all of a sudden, opportunities start coming up. Conversations come, come up. Encounters come up. And they begin to bear witness to what Jesus is doing in their lives. Who isn't here yet? And what would it look like for you to join Jesus in his mission? We'll land the plane with this this morning. When I was preparing for this sermon, I got curious about something I saw in the text. Do you remember Luke is volume one and the book of Acts is volume two? Uh, They start off very similar, by the way. Luke is addressed to someone named Theophilus. And Acts is addressed to someone named Theophilus. In the book of Luke, there's a phrase, and it's the same exact phrase, word for word in the original language, that's in Acts chapter 1. Same phrase in Luke 1 and in Acts 1. And I think it's instructive for all of us. Towards the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we read about an angel named Gabriel who visits the Virgin Mary. And listen to the message that he gives to her. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The phrase, the Holy Spirit will come upon you is literally word for word in the original language, the same. It's the same phrase in Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit Uh, has come upon you. The same spirit who gave Mary the grace to conceive and bear the Son of God in her womb is the same spirit who empowers the church to bear witness to that Son, to the world and to the nations that more people might experience his forgiveness of sins, his life, his joy, his peace. And so this Advent season, what would it look like for you to enter into Jesus' joy for yourself? to press into his joy by grace through faith. And to let the Holy Spirit who has already indwelled you because of your faith in Jesus, but to now fill you. I had a pastor in Jersey, he used to say this, the filling of the Holy Spirit, when you put your trust in Jesus, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. 
But the filling of the Holy Spirit is when he has all of you. You have all of him, but does he have all of you? And I love Mary's response to all this. She just says this, let it be to me according to your word. Thank God she said yes. God would have totally carried out his plan plan without her. But I love this. He invites us into his plan. Amen? Let it be to me according to your word. And with that posture, she conceives and bears a son who is her creator. Mind-blowing this Advent season. Her creator in her womb. And she conceives and bears a son whom she raises up. And he becomes the one who takes all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our fear, our past, our future. He secures it all in his body on the cross so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Rises from the dead in victory over sin, death, and Satan and anything that could hold you back. Ascends to the Father's right hand and now pours out that same spirit on you to empower you to go and bear witness to all neighbors and nations with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, just as Mary prayed, let it be to me, according to your word. So we pray, let it be to us this morning, Lord. When you told Mary, you will conceive and bear a son, and all the things that would unfold through your life and ministry, Lord Jesus. Now you tell us you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we say, let it be to us according to your word. Would you let nothing hold us back from participating in your joy and your life? Would you let nothing hold us back from inviting others into the dance and to join you? May you turn our hearts and our attention to those who are not here yet. And we look forward to the party that will come when you return and you make all things new. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.